Welcome back to the Denology Podcast. From Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York, I'm your host, Howard Weiner. And on this episode, episode 10, this is part two, um, Deadology on October 9th. For part one, we took a look at the 370 shows on this date, and there were five shows in the 80s, and we're going to jump right into that. Also like to mention October 9th is John Lennon's birthday, and that definitely played, uh, was on, on the Grateful Dead's mind and the audience's mind uh, in the 1980s for sure. Let's begin in the middle of the decade, October 9th, 1984, the Centrum in Worcester, Massachusetts. Perhaps the most thrilling show with surprises from start to end uh, that, that I ever saw. I, I may have caught a few, I caught a few greater moments like the Watchtower Morning Dew in Madison Square Garden, 87, but just for thrilling surprises all the way through, I think this... Uh, Worcester show uh, is is the winner. I happen to be second row this night, right in front of Jerry. Um, I had a connection with a, a ticket broker through my brother's friend, forty dollars for a second row ticket. I jumped all over it, and uh, I was there, dancing in the street opener on that night. Uh, Jerry was wearing black. I know he switched it up a little in those days between black and red shirts. Uh, Jerry in black that night. Great dancing, Weir is uh, really good for him, singing, excellent instrumental, very tight, great exclamation point at the end from Garcia. Uh, probably the, the, the best dancing that I've heard from the 1980s. Uh, when you look back at uh, great dancings, 1970, 76, 77, there's no comparison. Those are much better. But this was a great way to start the show. Um, and like I said, probably the best dancing from the decade. Then you got Friend of the Devil in the second slot. You know, things are progressing nicely here. Uh, nice, another uh, sparkling instrumental from Jerry. And then for the first time of, uh, maybe the only time in this show, there's a little bit of a typical first set lull. Uh, me and my uncle, Mexicali, a good Althea, and then Brother Esau. You know, enjoyable stuff, but uh, no- nothing to get crazy about. The set ends with uh, an intense one-two punch. Big Railroad Blues, Let It Grow. Now, this Big Railroad Blues is pr- probably the second, my second favorite version. The first one being the year earlier in Centrum uh, in Worcester, the, the the first year they played played this building. Uh, the Big Railroad from October twenty-first, eighty-three. It's the best version. I definitely have that one as number one. And then uh, this might be number two. It's they just go the extra mile in both jams. Just uh, Mr. Garcia is, is shredding it. Um, and, I, and I have a theory um, about uh, great versions reappearing in this in the same building, uh, kind of like a dead deja vu kind of thing, where the, you know they don't consciously think of it before they're, they're playing it, or they don't play it for that reason, but they'll get caught up in the in the jam. And something will pop out of the air in their minds collectively. It's the strangest thing. And they'll do another ripping version of that same building as if the other version uh, inspired them in the, in the moment. It kind of linked, they get like a collective memory of what happened in the past. And I first came up with this theory uh, with uh, Sugary in, in Hartford and New Haven when they, they just played the amazing versions that year in 77. 
Um, you got the May 5th show from New Haven. And then the, the Hartford show, May 28th, too, the best sugaries you'll ever hear. Almost every time they came back to those buildings, they would play a sugary, not just like another sugary, it would be great sugary, as if they were picking off the... Uh, picking up the vibes from the the previous sugary or the the original great sugaries. And then if you look at a history of a building like Madison Square Garden, they just didn't have a sugary history. So it's kind of like uh, they, I do have a little deja vu uh, theory about that, where they when they break into it, the band remembers the feeling in the building prior and they pick up off of that. Um, so... That's my that's my theory, and then they uh, close out the set with. Uh, and by the way, during that big railroad, I just remember I'm I'm there in the second row. I'm so excited, I'm I'm just like pounding the floor, jumping up and down. Uh, it was an incredible night. Uh, it took everything out of me. I'm sure the, the band put a lot into it, man. But I was howling and jumping all night. And um, they close with a great "Let It Grow," and it's really hard to rate these "Let It Grows" because anything. From when the song first started in 1973 all the way through 1986, they never let you down with a Let It Grow. They're all great. A couple stand out, but this is just another another great one. A uh, very satisfying way uh, to bring the first set in Worcester to a conclusion. And the second set is twice as intense with the surprises. So I'm all happy and pumped up as the band takes the set in stage two. And they bounce into Help on the Way. And, you know, few things are more exciting than seeing a Help on the Way open a, open a second set. Yeah, I was in, in my glory that night, Help on the Way, Slipknot Franklin's. But this version is just good. If this if this were like a great, great Help Slip Franklin's, uh, that might put this as like the best show I, I ever seen. But it was just a good, when I, when I listen back, it's just a good version. Um, from this very tour, uh, if you go to October 17th, 84, Brendan Byrne, that has like one of the best slipknots and it just fires into uh frank franklin's tower uh that that's definitely a better help slip franklin's than this one but this this one is you know it's it's great uh in the moment i was psyched and after uh cooling down from franklin's you know i'm thinking about what by, might be next and the thought of the song that that actually came could never have entered my mind in a, in a million years um the window for jack straw was gone if they don't play jack straw uh, as an opener or somewhere towards the end of the first set, which is rare. And even rarer, sometimes they'll do, you got a second set straw to open the set, but I never heard of it this late in the second set. Then I heard the opening looks for straw. I, I couldn't believe it. I was I was a straw maniac back then. That was uh, one of my two or three favorite songs. I went freaking nuts. Um, I, I could hear myself on, the, on that tape. There's like a nice soundboard um audience mix uh one of the charlie miller i think remasters you know i could i could definitely hear myself uh once that once i heard that opening look to straw i went nuts and it's a it's a great straw um the, the singing is awesome uh the, the band's totally into it the, the crowd is just completely psyched you could hear this is a one of those nights and uh the the jam on the straw there's definitely a couple better like uh syracuse 84 and 11 days they would play the the god almighty jack straw but this one is just unique with its surging power man garcia hits all the right notes and the band goes into a, a beautiful rhythmic uh conclusion to it um and you know they, they hit the jack straw perfectly and you know just an excellent excellent version incredibly exciting at that at that point in the show and then out of the smoldering remains of jack straw they go into he's gone and, you know, He's Gone is one of those songs that 
obviously a tremendous song. We all love it, but it's not an overly, you know, not one of those overly in songs where you go crazy and get enthusiastic as crazy enthusiastic over it. But this version, the way the band was singing it and the audience was responding, and Jerry was just so powerful with the vocals on this night. At times they were a little uneven. There was just such power and emotion coming through his voice. Nothing left to do but smile, smile, smile. And just to, the, the way Jerry sang it, this is definitely a He's Gone worth listening to. And um, it keeps building in, you know, in uh, emotion and temperament. And then they get to the final He's Gone sing-off. And this is, this is the craziest one I've ever heard. It's just it's so beautiful. The band, it's almost like they went into a seance state. Uh, Garcia's howling, whoa, whoa, nothing's going to bring him back. And then Weir comes in with the gone, he's gone, boy, gone. And um, they took it up like beyond where they ever went with it before. Definitely had a seance feeling like they were reaching for the solo of uh, John Lennon, reaching reaching out for Pigpen. It was just, it had such a crazy emotional feeling. And then uh, the crowd went nuts at the end of that uh that uh, sing along of it. He's gone at, at the end. And then they're calmly moving along and they make a, a turn towards Smokestack, Lightning. And they've done a few smoke, Smokestack teases um, after Pigpen's uh, passing, but they had never played Smokestack. And it, it sounds like they're going into it, but it was hard to believe that they would do Smokestack. But then Weir confidently stepped up to the mic and belted out that first line of Smokestack, the first Smokestack Lightning in 13 years. And man, what a moment, man. The, the emotions of that Jack Straw and then following up with the with the He's Gone and then the first smokestack. You know, it's like anything could happen. This was the Grateful Dead at their masterpiece, masterpiece theater best. And a pretty good smokestack. They, you know, they kept that obviously in the rotation. And then, you know, you, you, the show just kept giving these great surprises. Drum space, throwing stones, and at this point, uh, I'm ducking for cover. I don't want. I'm, I'm not. It wasn't space throwing stones. It was space very good wheel, throwing stones. And then I'm thinking, well, it's been a great show. They're gonna probably end it with not fade away, and may not be the best post drums thing I ever heard. But hey, it's still a great show. And then you know they they're touched coming down the end of throwing stones, and they just made a left turn into Stella Blue. It was incredible. I I, I never seen throwing stones Stella Stella Blue. I think I saw stones. I saw a Stones Morning Dew once, but uh, and Jerry once again, voice not perfect, but incredibly powerful during Stella. It was very, very moving, and just like it was a great celebration not to hear "Not Fade Away" close out the the set at that moment, because um, yeah, the, the throwing Stones "Not Fade Away" became very cookie cutter, and if you've seen the Dead a lot in the '80s, it was um, more than redundant. You know, they, they just didn't play "Not Fade Away" the way they used to. But uh, so we get the throwing stone, Stella Blue. And then it leads into an around and around and Johnny Be Good to close out the set. So Stella Blue, around and around Johnny Be Good is much more satisfying than Not Fade Away by itself. And at this point, they gave us everything we could ask for. And then, of course, it's John Lennon's birthday. They dropped the revolution as the encore. And I was just out in the audience. I think everybody was just overwhelmed. It was like everything you could ever want from a show. Uh, well, leave it to the Grateful Dead to deliver like that, October 9th, nineteen eighty four, and it's um it's a show that held up on tape. Um, probably I'd probably rate this you know as far as thrilling, definitely top five performance. 
at least top 10. It, you know, as I listened to the tapes over the years, uh, nothing disappointing about it. They're, they're great versions. It just wasn't in the moment like where I, I loved it. There's actually a lot of great playing on this. So um, if you don't know, know it, definitely uh, download, find October 9th, 1984, Worcester. Great show. On my Positively Garcia page, I have the He's Gone Smokestack uh, Lightning up on there. You can look that up. Um, all right. And then we're going to go backwards. 1984 uh, from Worcester. We're going to take a step back a year to Greensboro Coliseum, October 9th, 83. I remember that day in Greensboro um, hearing a rumor that the uh, Grateful Dead at Soundcheck St. Stephen and we continually heard these rumors, and when they didn't play it that night, I had completely given up on St. Stephen. I'm like, yeah, they're never going to play it. I'm not listening to these rumors, but they really did play. Uh, they soundchecked St. Stephen three times before the show, um, and obviously they saved it for uh, Madison Square Garden uh, two days later, um, but they did give Greensboro an amazing uh, first set. So they open up with a shakedown, very fluid uh, quick moving shakedown, um, great, great way to start the show. And then they rocked Sam, uh, Samson and Delilah in the second set, which was uh, pretty incredible. Um, very rare to get, but very rare. I don't think it's ever been done. Samson is the second song in the show. And yeah, I was uh, thrilled with that. And I, I think there was meaning behind it. Uh, the Grateful Dead are playing in the Greensboro Coliseum. And this is where um, they, they had a very you know, acute a sports mind. They were, they were, they were into what was going on at the time with sports. Obviously they, uh, enjoyed uh, for the encore of this show. They played it's all over now, baby blue and weird uh, dedicated to the Dodgers who had just been beaten in the playoffs. But I think this Samson was a, a tribute to the North Carolina state Wolfpack basketball team that had the most incredible run any college team ever had in a, in a NCAA championship with the possible exception of Villanova, that was a pretty amazing run too in '84. But um, yeah, just Jim Valvano's Wolf Pack, the Cardiac uh, Pack. They they had all these uh, incredible victories, and they slayed Ralph Sampson in that building, Greensboro Coliseum. So there was definitely some intention. Uh, yeah, there was a reason that that Sampson came second in the first set. A little tribute to the uh, NCAA, NC State Wolf Pack on that night. Set progresses. This was, you know, one of the better first sets of the tour. The second set I'm going to go through quickly because it wasn't as good. Uh, so you get a on the heels of Samson, a beautiful Peggio. Now this '83 tour, Garcia's voice was a bit shredded at different times, but man, he is singing dead on for this Peggio, and what a amazing uh, guitar solo in the middle. And then Rooster follows, and you know, weirs all over that with his slide. You know, odd sounding but distinct, and uh, good double tiered solo from Garcia on that. One one of the last, I'd say, great roosters because the the song just lost something over the years. But uh, they they were on the rooster that night, and then uh, Candyman, and I'm I'm doing believe it or not, I'm doing all this stuff off the top of my head. I think it was a brother Esau after that, and then once again, Big Railroad, Let It Grow to to end the set. Um, this Big Railroad. Not as great as the Worcester one, but it's long and it's all, you know all the energies there. It's definitely a top shelf uh, big railroad. Same thing with the Let It Grow, awesome Let It Grow, but a little bit disorganized and sloppy. 
but they made up for it in effort because it's very long and there's a lot of uh, a lot of jamming in it. So it was uh, another moving first set from the '80s from the Grateful Dead. I think that's where they really uh, put their best foot forward during these years. Uh, a lot of times in the, in the first set. Second set, it just seemed like they they threw out some songs and they knew they were saving. Uh, the big hitters for Madison Square Garden, the two nights coming up in uh, Madison Square Garden. So you get a touch of gray, estimated eyes. One noteworthy thing during that estimated, which which is pretty funny, where he goes into is aha screaming, and the crowd gives it right back to him. With every aha, the crowd roars back, you know, almost like a call and response type thing. It's it's very comical. It's like a the crowd's almost laughing, mocking, mocking in a positive way. We're as he's doing it. I never heard that before, but it's obvious if you if you listen to the tape. Uh, we're checking out very funny, and then uh, drum space, not fade away, sugar mag, adios, and then uh, the baby blue. Uh, so n- nothing, nothing was extraordinary in that second set. Not any way bad, but they they were just getting ready for their upcoming big nights in Madison Square Garden. Hey, let's time travel ahead five years, or six years from Greensboro. Uh, 1989, October 9th, the Warlocks in the Hampton Coliseum. Uh, Yes, it was an incredible historic night, another great feather in the cap of October 9th for Deadology. Uh, The the, uh, Warlocks, they were billed as the Warlocks for the Hampton shows on October 8th and October 9th. And uh, definitely some historic things went down there. Uh, let's, uh, I wasn't at that show. Um, I kind of got off the bus a little bit uh, towards the end of 89 and 90. In that particular month, October 1989, uh, Bob Dylan had just come out with his Oh Mercy album. And I had just become obsessed with Dylan. Now I had two obsessions, Dylan and the Dead, uh, right around the time of that Dylan Dead tour. And uh, Dylan was on his ne- what end up being called his never-ending tour. Was going out and playing def- different set lists every night. Every night you would catch seven or eight songs that you didn't catch the night before. Uh, I think it's a little something he learned from the Grateful Dead, uh, taking really big chances with the set lists. And I'm so glad I I was I saw these Dylan shows. They were as opposed to the Dead in the in the big uh, arenas. Uh, this was all intimate theaters. I saw him a bunch of time, four times at the Beacon Theater uh, for that 1989 tour. Um, on Friday, the 13th, October 13th, uh, Dylan came out dressed in a gold lame suit, pointy white boots, played like the craziest show with songs, uh, one of the most unique set lists he ever did. And then during the encore, he did, did a little harp solo, walked to the front of the stage, shook somebody's hand in the front row, went out the side door of the Beacon. And uh, we later found out that he did jump on a bicycle and ride it back to his uh, apartment. The band didn't even know that he was going on, going off the stage. So it was a crazy time. It was a great time to be uh, following Bob Dylan. But I think also I had a pretty damn good time if I was in that Hampton show, uh, seeing the Warlocks. So the first set um, starts with a Feel Like a Stranger. And it's the one that's on Without a Net, if, I'm, if I'm, I think I'm correct on that. A pretty good version, but this first listening to this first set was a chore. I just I think the band was uh, completely off. Uh, Garcia's voice a little shaky. Not a great song selection. I you know I, I just uh, I'm, I listened to this for De- for Deadology when I wrote the Deadology, and I tr- I was hoping I would like it more than I did. 
but it just sounds like an off night throughout that first set. Um, and the music never stopped at the end is just a mess. Uh, I mean, they play a lot of great music never stops on this date. The next two shows, I'm going to be talking about music never stopped again. Um, but this one is very messy. So I think it because they were billed as the Warlocks and things were expected that night, they were going to forge ahead with the big plans they had for the second set, whether whether or not it was uh, materializing as a great night. So set two does, uh, you know, they, they come through in set two. Opens up playing Uncle John's. Uh, I think it goes back into playing. And then for the first time in five years, they break out Dark Star. And there is like a roar that could have collapsed the uh, Hampton Coliseum. Um, man, I, that, that would have been an amazing uh, spectacle for me to see. I've, I never saw a dark star in my 152 shows. So uh, you can only imagine the thrill in the place. Uh, a good version. They, they sing, Jerry sings two verses. Uh, we're not going to take any of these 80s or late 70s versions or 90s versions and try to compare them to the great masterpieces from uh, 69 to 74. But still, it, uh, great stuff and a, an amazing thing to bring back into the repertoire on a part-time basis. Uh, so you get the Dark Star, um, Drum Space. And, and for me, this is where the show really picks up. After uh, Space, they, they go into uh, Death, Don't Have No Mercy. Uh, another song, uh, they, they had recently played the first version of Death, Don't Have Mercy, I think in, was it 17 years? It was, it was on the shelf hibernating for 17 years. And this is the second second time they played it. So, you know, they're bringing back Live Dead, 1969, getting into that Warlock spirit. Um, and it's an excellent version. You got Garcia and Weir trading verses, great guitar work. So I think they're really, you know, that Dark, dark Star really put them in the right place for this night. Because at, at this point, moving forward, the show's great. Uh, Dear Mr. Fantasy follows, more good guitar work. Um, and then uh, Throwing Stones, Not Fade Away Ending, and I... This is one time where I could, if I was at the show, I could definitely live with it and love uh, that ending because it was definitely meaty enough. Um, it didn't even matter what they played after that, you know, but um, good versions there. And then uh, to end it all, the Addicts of My Life for the first time since 1972. I believe it was Stanley Theater was the last time they played it, uh, 1972. And once again, just brought the house down. Uh, such a touching, moving moment. Uh, great historical, uh, you know, the Warlocks. Uh, you know, in the end, they came through. They rallied for for a great show, and another uh, awesome October 9th uh, event. So there's two more shows from the '80s uh, that I'm going to take a look at here. Um, the, I'm going to save the the best one for last, which is Palo Alto '82. A great show. They played uh, the Warfield. On um, in October 9th, eighty, obviously, and the acoustic set is, is I, I love this acoustic set. There, there's so there's so many. All these acoustic sets are great. You know, it's hard to pick them apart. But there's really excellent guitar work um, uh, in in this acoustic set. You got all you know all the favorites from Reckoning, uh, the China Doll, Babe, It Ain't No Lie, and Ripple at the end. So just another thrilling feather in the cap, cap of Oak, October 9th to get an acoustic set mixed in there. And then we go to the two set, they played three sets, obviously, uh, the two set electric set. The issue with these electric sets um, from the Radio City Warfield, uh, New Sanger Theater, New Orleans Run, was 
they were kind of half they had one foot playing for an album kind of like thinking almost like studio and then one foot in a small theater just being the Grateful Dead so some of these versions didn't come off um, like there's some Scarlet Fires that are just like well under uh, underwhelming um, and the electric sets weren't great but at times you know they they, they hit some hot spots and uh, th- this one's pretty good uh, the, the the high point of the first set is just an amazing music never stopped that kind of came out of nowhere <laughs> just like wow uh, over nine minutes just blistering Jerry and, and a good second set a lot of crisp versions uh, songs like High Time which they played uh, Shine the great Terrapin Station so uh, it, it, it was an amazing three set night um, and, and there are a couple a couple of these uh, the, the runs with the acoustic electric a couple of those uh, Electric sets are good, but um, this one probably a little bit bit better than average. Um, so that's 1980, October 9th, gets another unusual, uh, great highlight. And to wrap up the, the Palo Alto show, this one is brilliant. I would have loved to go out to Stanford, see the uh, Frost Amphitheater, catch a show there. Uh, the first set, the soundboards got out of this pretty quickly. And I just remember I, I got this first set when I was uh, collecting tapes and I just played it over and over again. Uh, the Palo Alto first set is a gem. And there's a, a great contrast in the Grateful Dead's playing when you look at 82 versus 83 or 84. Uh, their vocals were impeccable in 82. Uh, the playing was cocaine crisp, silky smooth. Uh, sometimes they didn't take the instrumentals as long as they would in future years, but uh, just excellent, you know, all, all these, these, these it's a different sound. You wouldn't want to change anything. 82 has its own style, and then 83 took on a different style where you get longer, longer jams, but the perfection of the song isn't quite what it was in 82. But yeah, I could, you know, most of us could pick out an 82 show, like if you just hear it out, out of the blue on the Grateful Dead channel. Uh, it's definitely got that sparkle to it and a little bit of a quicker pace uh, than other years. So uh, this first set, um, Alabama Getaway, Great Story, Love Each Other, all pretty typical, but there was just something about When I put this tape on, it was just so listenable. Uh, the fourth song is kind of a game changer, uh, The Electric On The Road Again. I don't know why, but whenever they played this song, it's a great show. Take a look at it, man. Go, go to Go to Dead Bass or wherever you could find the, the statistics for this. But on, on the road, every, on, every time they played On the Road again, it's a great show. Baltimore, 82, uh, the April 19th, 82, uh, Alpine Valley, August 7th, 82, a great show I love. October 12th, 1984, I think that's the last time they played it in, in Augusta. That's the awesome Uncle John's playing Morning Dew show. There was some, for some reason, when they played On the Road again, which they didn't play a lot, it was always a great show. On the Road Again uh, jumps into Beat It On Down the Line. Uh, then a really sweet West L.A. Fade Away, which 1982 is always, uh, all, all the early West L.A. Fade Away's rock. And then you got um, Uncle River, another weird combo. And this, and then the show takes off. Like, it's such an enjoyable was tape to listen to. And then it just it finishes with the beautiful three-song exclamation point. Uh, this is the best version of Dupree's Diamond Blues. I, I'll take this one over any without question. Uh, Jerry's singing is just spot on. and it, It's just the fluidity and 
uh, the the jams are purposeful on this, just like a supreme version of Dupree's Diamond Blues. And I've, this is another one which I, I like taking out these great versions. I've uploaded it onto my YouTube page, Positively Garcia. And then Music Never Stopped uh, comes on the heels of Dupree's, another great uh, Music Never Stopped from this state. Um, I, I don't know if I'd throw this in my top 10, but it's definitely, ex, you know, it's better, much better than average. Great Music Never Stopped. And then they close it out with a, a blistering quick deal. Uh, so neither version where they take the jams very long, but they're extremely hot. And just to get music never stopped and deal back to back, that rarely happens. I think it probably only happened a few times, but you're getting two of the big showstopper closers back to back. And I think that's one of the great characteristics of October 9th is that there's no weak first set endings. There's no don't ease me in or day job. Or Might As Well, not that Might As Well is weak, it's a great song, but it's just not a big instrumental showstopper. Um, this October 9th, every, oh, every, even like the 72, you get in the China Cat, Ryder, Sugary playing. Um, 76, you got Lazy Lightning, Supplication, Sugary, um, and then uh, Music Never Stopped. The, the different year was Scarlet, Lazy Lightning, Sugary, so just incredible first set endings on this date. Set two begins with early, you know, early versions of Throwing Stones, Touch of Grey, Back to Back. These are two songs that got much better as the uh, years went on. Uh, they A lot of times when Dead came out with songs, they came out with them great, like West L.A. Uh, the songs from uh, Go to Heaven were all rocking and rearing to go, like right from the beginning. Touch of Grey and Throwing Stones both uh, gained, gained legs as the, uh, as the years went on. And they kind of hit their stride in like 1985 and and those years. So um, they they worked on a little bit, but they kept getting better. Uh, just very cool to hear these early versions back to back to start the second set. Uh, good estimated, uh, followed by a, a good eyes. These are both you know definitely nothing nothing wrong with them. But once again, a little of the quicker versions, which were typical of '82, but very enjoyable to listen to. Uh, drum space, trucking, other one. You know, it's uh, the other one took a little while to develop and get hot, but it was there. And so far, this set is not really overwhelming or anything. But then they hit hit you with the morning dew, and this is this is a really good one. It, it took me by surprise when I heard it because I I had heard the first set of this a lot, but I remember the first time I heard the second set of this, I was like, wow, pretty impressive for a, a 1982 morning dew. Um, you know, some of the morning dues from the, this particular period wasn't as hot as they would be in 83 or 84. Um, but this one is, a, is an excellent do. And it's Saturday night, so they close out this great show with a Saturday night. And then a U.S. Blues Encore. All right, my friends, thanks for uh, listening. That brings uh, part two of October 9th Deadology to a conclusion. Uh, if you'd like to read more about uh, the 33 essential dates of Grateful Dead History, Deadology is available on Amazon or TangledUpInTunes.com, my website. And um, yeah, feel free to subscribe to the this Deadology podcast. Uh, obviously, no no charge; it's free. And next week, I'm kind of excited for the, for the next week's uh, episode on the 40th anniversary of the Lake Placid show, the great 1983 Lake Placid show. I'll be recording the podcast in Herbrook's Arena. 
so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, an amazing time in American and Grateful Dead history. Uh, once again, thanks for listening. I appreciate you all. Peace out. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes so everybody hang loose.